Hey, if you have your copy of Scripture, why don't you open up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read you our Scripture that we're going to dig into today. Uh, It begins in verse 41. What we're looking at is really a snapshot of the birth of the New Testament church. The Holy Spirit has fallen and tremendous things are beginning to take place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word, speaking of Peter, Peter just preached his guts out, um, Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a fast-growing church, people. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I want to bring a message entitled today, Made to be a Merlin. Why don't you just put that title right there in the chat? We're going to come back to that, Made to be a Merlin. I want to pray before we get into God's Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we open our hearts. Would you give us ears to hear what you want to deposit into our lives? We, right now, submit ourselves to the authority and the power of your Word. Do what you want to do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. In World War II, as a part of Nazis' strategy to gain air superiority and to pave their way for their invasion into Britain, the Nazis carried out what was known as the Southampton Blitz. Southampton was a city in Britain, and it became a very strategic bombing target for the Nazis as it contained military factories. One of those factories was the factories that made the submarine, or the, it was a submarine factory. It made the Spitfire plane, the, the plane that this series is all um, uh, framed around. This Spitfire plane gave Britain just tremendous air superiority. And so the Nazis thought, hey, if we can stop the production, the manufacturing of this plane, then maybe, just maybe, we could get air superiority. And I'm telling you, they just put on all-out assault on Southampton. 56 attacks on the city were made. 1,500 air raid warnings were issued. 2,300 bombs were dropped, amounting to 470 tons of high explosives. 300,000 incendiary devices were dropped on the city. Nearly 45,000 buildings leveled and destroyed. This is how threatened the Nazis were of the Spitfire. They focused a large part of their a large part of their bombing operation to take out the factories that produce the Spitfire again because they thought if they can take out the Spitfire, then they can continue with their full-on assault with an amphibious and air attack and totally invade Britain. Now, as we've heard in this series. 
the Spitfire was an amazing plane. But what made the Spitfire such a force in the air? What made it such a threat? Well, the two primary things that we learned about the Spitfire. And the first one is that it had a a larger weapon count than most planes, uh, its size. It had eight machine guns, four on each side. The second thing that was very unique and gave the Spitfire an advantage was its power, speed, and agility. It was powered by the Rolls-Royce Merlin. And if there's ever been a sexy engine, it's the Rolls-Royce Merlin. It was able to go 362 miles per hour, but she wasn't just fast, she was agile. She can turn on a dime. The elliptical wing design allowed it to maneuver like no other plane in the sky. These two uh, weapons, if you will, these two advantages allowed Britain to have air superiority with the Spitfire. Now, when we look at church history, when we study the birth of the New Testament church, we see that in the book of Acts, Acts transitions the power of the risen Christ to the New Testament church. So what that means and what we know today is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now available to us here with us in the church. And so out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we see two primary weapons, if you will, advantages, if you will, that the church have. And those two advantages are evangelism and generosity. You see, at the front line of every move of God, I would challenge you to study it. At the front line of every move of God, you're going to find those two things. You're going to find evangelism and you're gonna find generosity. Let's just talk about those two things, just simple working definitions. Evangelism is living and proclaiming the good news of salvation found in Christ alone. Generosity is living a life that matches the giving nature of God by outrageously and joyfully giving of our time, our treasures, and our talents to help bring heaven to earth. And evangelism and generosity is why the church is what the church is today. In Acts chapter 2, the birth of the New Testament church, we find the disciples and many others gathered in one place. Would be a great name for a church, by the way. But They're awaiting the promised Holy Spirit. And of course, we've seen already in this series and we know that the promised Holy Spirit came and and Pastor Levi already took the joke, but it was a spitfire moment as, as fire was falling from heaven. And what we see now is a church that is empowered. But what were the ultimate results? What were the two primary results of power coming from high? Well, simple. It was evangelism and it was generosity. I want to show you this. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, what does Peter do? Peter steps up and rocks his microphone. Peter steps up and he takes the opportunity to preach Christ resurrected. And here's the result. Verse 41, we looked at it a minute ago. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And all who believed were to, had together all things in common. So I want you to see it. First, evangelism. 
Then generosity, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And it doesn't end there. And then there's more evangelism. And then we look right back down into verse 70, uh, 47, and it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. So it was evangelism, and it was generosity. It was generosity and eval- uh, in, 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 in evangelism over and over again. These are on the front line of any major move of God. And the gospel... The good news of Christ resurrected, salvation found in Christ alone, it is grounded without generosity. It gets nowhere without generosity. And as we learned last week, the church is not meant to stay grounded. The church is meant to have lift. And evangelism is the offensive weapon of the church. But it is our generosity that mobilizes evangelism. It mobilizes the church. So if you will, our, our generosity is the Rolls, Rolls, Royce, that's a tough thing to say, Rolls, Royce, Merlin that gives the church the horsepower and the agility needed to carry out its mission. So we're on a rescue mission. We have a message to carry. And without your generosity, the gospel is grounded and we lose ground to the enemy. So what does the enemy do? Well, well, the enemy targets generosity. If you look back at the book of Acts, after Pentecost, the church is continuing in momentum. You find Peter and John on their way to the temple. On their way, they come across a man who is lame. He's been lame since he uh, was, was born. He's now 40 years old. He's there begging at the gate. So Peter and John, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walk by this man. And when he begs them, he look, Peter looks at them and he says, hey, look at me. And he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I give you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of of Nazareth. Get up and walk and take it in by his hand. He lifted this lame man to his feet. And the Bible says that the man was instantly healed. His feet became strong. His legs became strong. And now this man, because of the gospel because of the power of the healing power of the Holy Spirit, this man now begins to follow Peter and John everywhere they go. Now, now this guy certainly had a reputation. He had been at the, the temple gate for 40 years. Everybody knew. So they were shocked when they looked over and they see this guy dancing. They see this guy praising God. And so it began to gather a crowd. And so then what does Peter do? Peter goes ahead and he takes that opportunity and he begins to share Christ resurrected. Now, the religious of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like what was going down. The Sadducees didn't even believe in life after death and they certainly didn't believe in the Messiah. And so you can tell why they had an issue with the 
message that was being preached that day. And so they try to shut it down. So they grabbed Peter and John. The Bible says they, they put him into prison. It was late in the afternoon, so they stayed through the night. Next day they get up. They come before the, the Sanhedrin, and there before the Sanhedrin, it was the power of this man's testimony, this man who was once lame, who could now dance and could now walk. They couldn't deny it. There's nothing they could say and there's nothing, no way that they could deny the power of God. And so even in the crowd that day, they began to praise God. And so the Sanhedrin, they had, to, they had to release Peter and John. But I want you to see what then Peter and John immediately do. Peter and John, they go back to the church. They go back to their friends. They go back and they tell them and they report everything that happened. And guess what happened that day? 2,000 more people get saved. And they go back, and I want you to see this because right after evangelism, again, is a tremendous outpouring of generosity. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 36, this is what it says. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Tremendous, tremendous generosity. But then we see the enemy, enemy immediately attack generosity. To see, first tactic of the enemy was to try to shut the church from the outside. Next tactic was even deep, more devious. He said, I'm going to try to attack the church from within, and I'm going to do it by attacking generosity. And we see it in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, here's what it reads. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it sold, was it not at your disposal? But what, what Peter is trying to say to Ananias is like, listen, it's, it's not amount, about the amount, man. It's about the posture. It's about the deceit. And why are you allowing this to happen? You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. This isn't just a simple story of greed in the early church. It's about a, an attack from within. And it really gives us insight to how the enemy attacks even today. You see, what God is doing in this account is he is protecting the church at a very early state. Same thing happened as uh, the people of God, the Israelites, were entering into the promised land and uh, they were defeating their enemies and God told them to take the treasure and set some aside to be blessed, but yet there was a man in the camp 
named Achan, and Achan took for himself treasures that God told him to put, be put back to be devoted. And as often it is the case with difficult texts like this, because it's kind of freaky if you think about it. <laughs> it, it would be really, really a great temptation to read more into the, this than there really is. But a responsible Bible reading or reader is, is to really to pay the most attention to where the author draws the most attention. And what Peter draws most attention to is the power of generosity and the power of evangelism and how important it is to God and how important it is to the church. So, so Jesus wants us, just as we see modeled here, Jesus wants us to be in, in sync, in step. He wants us to be one in evangelism. He wants, to be, wants us to be one in generosity. And that is exactly what we are doing through the Spitfire Fund. We have an opportunity right now in history to be united in our generosity. But you need to know that the enemy always disrupts generosity through fear. This is how he attacks. He's going to disrupt generosity. He's going to try to keep the gospel grounded, and he does it through fear. Now, when the Nazis were first bombing Southampton, there would be air raids. We, we heard a minute ago some 1,500 air raids during the time that they were bombing. And this, of course, would cause tremendous distraction in the factory. I mean, can you imagine you working your nine to five, and every time there was an air raid, <laughs> the fact that there even was an air raid, you're having to stop what you do, put down the Chick-fil-A sandwich, go find a bunker, and, and, and stay in the bunker until everything passed. I mean, this sometimes would take one, two, three hours, sometimes would wipe the day out. And so what the Nazis were doing were they were striking with fear and the air raids began to create tremendous fear for the people who were working in the factory. And the Southampton Blitz alone, again, just think about it, 1,500 times they were Interrupted. Now, here's what's so ironic. Most of the times the air raids went off, the bombs landed nowhere near Southampton factory. Nowhere near this factory that, that manufactured the Spitfire. But yet, there was great interruption. And so often, in our own lives, we allow fear to be that kind of disruption. I don't know if it's true in your life. I know it's true in mine. Fear has a voice. Uh, fear has a language. And I've just put together a few sentences, a few statements that I think maybe fear may be whispering in to some of our ears to try to divide us in our generosity, to try to disrupt what God is trying to do. And maybe these fear statements ring loud like a siren in your ear. Here's one for you. Fear says that I can't give 
what I don't have. I, I can't give what, I mean, surely God doesn't expect me to give, to sow something that I do not have. Well, if you study scripture and even straight to Jesus's teaching about generosity, there's a real challenge with that thought process. Because Luke chapter six says this, Jesus's words, give and it will be given to you. Okay, it's not, it will be given to you so that then you can give. What is it? It's give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will pour into your lap. With the measure you use it will be the measure, will be measured back to you. Well, some people would say, well, if God gives it, I'll give it. Well, well, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, God has to give to us and do for us what only he can do, but what the scripture's pointing to is that we gotta do our part so that then God can do his part, his supernatural part, so we receive according to what we give. And some of you right now, because of fear, are living in a poverty mindset, and it's fear has got you back down. Fear has got you shrinking down into a bunker, and you've locked yourself up. You've literally, at the sound of the siren, and I know, listen, 2020 has been a crazy year for many financially. Now, what's crazy is some of us have made more money than we've ever made, and others of us are, you know, just broke. We, we, we haven't seen a paycheck in a really long time. And so this season, this pandemic, the the, the, the political climate, it, it's got us all living in fear. And I have no doubt that it is an attack of the enemy. And what we've got to understand as people of God, listen to me, people of God, we have got to learn to let faith speak louder than fear. And so we've got to lean in and realize the law of the harvest that is taught. And this, of course, is not just talking about money. It's definitely talking about money, but it's, it's talking about your time, your talent, how you treat people. God's people were intended to be generous people. And when you're generous, if you sow generosity, it comes back to you. You're gonna reap what you sow. Don't believe me? Just this week, why don't you try to go into your home and, and just sow positivity? So encouraging words. Maybe you have a teenage son, so encouragement. Hey, son, I'm proud of you. Hey, son, I've got your back. Start noticing the good thing he says and speak generosity. Be, have a generous word for him. And I promise you, you are gonna see a change in your family. You're gonna see a change in your son. Listen, it's the law of the harvest. And we allow fear to rob us. We allow fear to, to rob us from this very real law, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Listen, you are never, I, listen, I grew up in Tennessee, you know, we had cotton fields everywhere. You're never, ever gonna find a farmer go buy a piece of land and just sit back and go, man, I can't wait for my harvest without sowing, it makes no sense, right? 
by the field, and all I got to do is sit back. No, 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 you got to prep the ground, and then you got to sow the seed. So the enemy would come to you again and say, you know, there's no way you can do this. And God says, listen, sow it and you will reap it. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Don't hold on to what is and lose what could be. Don't hold on so tightly to what is out of a poverty mentality and lose what could be. What could be the future for your family? What could be for the future of the advancement of the gospel? We can't let the enemy keep us paralyzed in fear. Don't let fear tell you that now is not the time to sow seed because fear can rob you from generosity and then it can cause you to rob from God. So, so Paul, Paul had to teach this to churches that he planted. We looked at, uh, at this some in this series, but 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul teaching the church at Corinth says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, he's bragging on them, y'all. He's bragging on them. Listen, generous words, all right? Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this. Excel in this grace of giving. So Paul spurring on the church in Corinth not to live in a mindset of I'll never have enough. And then Paul goes on, and Pastor Levi mentioned this last week. Paul goes on, and he mentions an example of the church of Macedonia. In, verse, in chapter 8, verse 1 through 5, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, now catch this. This is incredible. I was reading this to my wife this morning, and, and you almost wonder if there was, uh, it was written down wrong, but it is what it is. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. They've overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, so they tied, they, they gave what they could, they gave what they should. But then they also gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So fear says, I can't give what I don't have. Fear also says, I will never have enough if I give what little I do have. Some of you are thinking like, Pace, man, if I made double, I still don't have enough. You, you don't understand, like, I could get a double raise, and I still don't have enough. And so fear has you locked up and has you living like you've got to hold it back. And that you think that the way to get ahead is to hold it back. And the way to be, get ahead is to not be generous. So we think the answer is more. And this faulty thinking, because in thinking that way, we forget about the one who owns everything, the one who's the giver of more. And the answer isn't more. The answer is found in generosity because we know that God can do more with our 90% than, than we can do with our 100%. Like God multiplies. You always reap more than you sow. 
So we've got Barnabas, and what does he do? He's the guy that bought the land, and he takes all the money and gives it to the church. And then we have Ananias and Sapphira, and what do they do? They hold back. Scarcity mindset, poverty mindset. Maybe some of you were raised this way. Maybe some of you were raised where you didn't have a lot. I mean, I'm son of an army man, bounced from military to base to military base. We never really had a, a lot. We had enough. But maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, man, it was slim pickings. We weren't really sure if there was going to be food on the table. And listen, I can totally understand and, and have empathy for you in the mindset of, man, I've just got to hold it back. And if I, if I can hold back, then one day there's going to be enough. But, but have you ever thought that this is a time where, where God is testing your trust? Listen, payday is test day. Wow. Wow. Payday is a test day for all of us. And, you know, my, my daughter, every now and then, she'll drive with me to church. I've got my youngest daughter. She, she is a spitfire. Her name is Sarah Gray. She's eight years old. And almost always I go through Starbucks and I get her a Frappuccino and then I give her back to her mom. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I get a Frappuccino high on sugar, right? I get her a Frappuccino and I'll test her. I'll say, hey, can I get a sip of that Frappuccino, right? And more times than not, she says yes, but every now and then, she fails the test, and she says no, Daddy. And again, what she doesn't realize is that I could buy her so many frappuccinos that her mind would be in constant brain freeze, right? <laughs> but, but I think, again, this is what we do, right? We hold back thinking that, man, if, if I give you some, then I'm not going to have enough for myself. And it's a lie from the devil. And so... What am I doing when I do that to, to Sarah Grace? I'm, I'm testing her. And I am just convinced that, that God takes things that mean so much to us, our financial well-being, peace of mind financially, and he comes to us in a test and says, hey, trust me, I'm just asking first for the tithe. And like the Church of Macedonia, they didn't just give the 10, but they gave above and beyond sacrificially. So fear then also says a third thing. Fear says, my generosity, it just won't make a difference. Like, I don't have a lot. So my generosity won't make a difference. Well, uh, again, you can look to just some encounters that Jesus had in regards to giving. And I want to look at one in specific, but it debunks this, this thought that fear gives us. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says this, speaking of Jesus, says he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Hello. <laughs> Make you nervous? Jesus is watching who's putting what in the offering box. Now, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and he put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed, here it is, out of their abundance, nothing wrong with it. 
God's not, you know, Jesus is not mad at the offering. He's just saying, hey, there's a contrast in generosity here. They are giving out of an abundance, uh, out of an abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything, all she had to live on. So, so Jesus in this moment saw more meaningful analytics in this story. Where, where most people would have just seen the large gift, Jesus looks deeper. And, and the gift that the widow gave was bigger in proportion to what she had than what the wealthy people gave. So it was the analytics of proportion that indicate the sacrifice. Now here's where this, to get uncomfortable, God blesses, God loves when his people sacrifice financially and give to further the kingdom of God. The question is, even in this spit fund, uh, this spitfire fund, this season of generosity, what's sacrificial for you? I mean, are you, are you just giving out of what you have as, as an overflow? Or are you stepping up and giving out of sacrifice? See, proportion determines the sacrifice. So here's just a, a diagnostic question, because I know that you've all received your, your Spit Fire Fun kit. If you didn't get one, it's showing up in the chat right now. You can download this. A diagnostic question would be, what gift will put you outside of your comfort zone? What gift that, that you could give would put you in a place of sacrifice like this, like this widow? Because church, let me just say to you that fear has robbed us too long. And let's no longer allow fear to rob us of generosity. Let's not allow fear to yell louder than our faith. Now, as I studied the, all the air raids that were going on in Southampton, the people in the factory, again, being so distracted and because it was slowing down production, they got wise. Here's what they decided to do. They decided to put their own lookout on top of the factory. And now when the, the normal public uh, air raids would go off, if unless they saw the plane directly above them, they wouldn't go. They, you see, they created their own air raid system. And so what this allowed them to do was it allowed them to push fear aside and still be generous with their time. It allowed them to put fear aside and still get done what they needed to get done. And listen, what I see in this, for us in this season, now is the time for the church to rise. Now is the time for the church, a time when, the, when our world is in great tension. Every time that you see a great move of God, God puts God's people, he puts his people in the center of the tension. And so now's the time for us to be mobile, not in the bunker, not crouched down in fear. Don't let fear tell you that now is the time to hide. Listen, fresh life is coming into 2021 with a large weapon count. And next weekend, listen, it's time. It is time for us to do our part, to give above and beyond our regular giving. For some of you, 
This may be the first time that you ever, ever trust God with anything. Maybe the best thing you could do is write your first tithe check. It's 10%, big step. But here's what God is asking you to do, do something. That's what we see in this amazing story of the Spitfire, is that everyone could do something. And can you imagine what that looks like if everyone did something? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like victory. It looks like salvation. It looks like heaven to earth. It looks like kingdom advanced. Now, now this is interesting because I mentioned earlier that Rolls Royce is who made the engine for the Spitfire. And the engine in the Spitfire was called the Rolls Royce Merlin. Now, the Rolls Royce company, anytime they put an engine into a plane, they named that engine after a bird of prey. A Merlin is a bird of prey. A Merlin is known to be powerful, fast, and agile. And this, my friend, is why you are made to be a Merlin. You are made to advance the gospel. You are made to make heaven come to earth through our generosity. And without our generosity, our payload, our weaponry, evangelism cannot be delivered. Listen, we're coming for you. We're coming for the enemy, but it's gonna take our collective generosity. Can, can you imagine what it looks like? Listen, generosity lifts the gospel. And without the Rolls-Royce Merlin, the Spitfire could have never lifted the large weapon count. Eight machine guns. I mean, I was looking through this and this is staggering generosity. I mean, we're talking about flat, making an impact at, on the Flathead Reservation. We're talking, just look at it. We're, we're talking about Butte Rescue Mission. We're talking about continuing uh, our work in the prisons. We're, we're talking about uh, Montana Rescue Mission, on and on and on again. And I love how this is broken down. Engine and fuselage, nuts and bolts, propellers and wings. And it's your generosity, it's our generosity collectively that we wanna see all this happen. Not just some of it, all of it and more. And your generosity is what provides the, the necessary lift, okay? So one final word. <laughs> generosity is what keeps our hearts roused and our lives responsive. Pastor Levi in week one, he said, we must have what? We must have stirred hearts. We must have willing spirits. I hope what you heard today in God's word is God is a generous God. Generosity is simply us matching, us living out of his generosity to us. We're blessed to be a blessing. He gets it to us so he can get it through us. We're, we're Teflon people. We wanna, we wanna give it away. We, we know that uh, our kingdom, the tension we're experiencing right now is the kingdom we live in, if you're here in America or whatever country you find yourself in, and the kingdom we belong to. 
And there's gonna be a day when heaven comes to earth. And I say, why not now? This is the call of every Christ follower. This is what it looks like for the gospel to take root in our homes, in our schools, in our workplace, in our city. It's bringing heaven to earth through generosity. It's bringing heaven to earth by preaching, by sharing, by proclaiming salvation through Christ alone. So we have to have roused hearts, responsive lives, and that is just perfect because you were made to be a Merlin, someone with a roused heart and responsive. I mean, that's what a Merlin is. They're agile, they're fast, they're powerful. And now is our moment as a faith family to take a step, to push fear aside, to, if you will, drown out the, the air raid sirens and lean in to the voice of faith. Over this next week, I just wanna challenge you to be praying very specifically. I want you to hear from heaven, what is it that you can do? Not just what gift, but what can you do sacrificially? What kind of gift would put you in a place of being uncomfortable? That is the kind of gift that God blesses. That's the kind of gift that God will reap in your life or, or, or bring a great harvest into your life that you could never, ever imagine. Hey, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes just wherever you find yourself today. We're inviting you to help us carry the great payload of the gospel. And I want you to imagine what we can do together. An army of God's people from around the world. What will be your target gift? What will be your sacrificial gift? What does it look like to collectively sacrifice and give the greatest above and beyond offering fresh life has ever seen? Let's be a church that in the face of adversity, in the face of a pandemic, in the face of political upheaval. Let's be the kind of church that doesn't make it right or left or red or blue, but we keep it kingdom. God, help us to keep it kingdom. Father, I pray right now for you to pour out onto your people blessing, favor, I pray for power from on high, the same power that emboldened Peter, John, and the early church to share the gospel and to live outrageous, generous lives. I pray that same power would fall on us today. Would you ask for that right now? Power on high, spitfire fall. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.